Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning, DCC. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I believe God has given me a word today, and I just want to preach out of the overflow of my heart today. Is that okay? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18 through 30, and we're going to jump into this scripture. Let me pray for us. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your love. Um, We're hurting, Father. And we need a word from you. We need a word from on high, the type of spiritual wisdom that you give us to help us navigate through the brokenness of this world. And so, Father God, as you hear our prayers, would you send your spirit in a way, Father, that is comparable to the day of Pentecost, that the spirit that resides in us, rests in us, will begin to do a work in us. Father, we love you. Now take the words of my mouth and a meditation on my heart, and let them be acceptable to you today, O God. And we be careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise which you are due. And it is in Jesus Christ's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray that all the saints say, Amen. You are in denial. You are angry. You are beginning to bargain with this pandemic. On Monday, you're sad. But on Tuesday... You have accepted this. You're trying to figure out why you are experiencing all these different emotions. Uh, One minute, you are simply saying, man, this virus won't affect me. But the next moment, out of the same mouth, you are saying, I'm just going to do it for two weeks, and then this thing will go away. Why are we feeling these emotions that we are going through? Well, let me ask a question. Do you want to know what that discomfort is that you are feeling? It's called grief. What you are feeling is called grief. Everything that I see, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, sadness, are what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross refers to as the five stages of grief. That's what you are going through. In fact, the problem with the five stages of grief is this. It is not linear. And what that means is they do not happen in a particular order. That's why, that's why on Monday you're, you're upset, but on Wednesday you're, you're, you're sad. You know, and then you get to a place of acceptance and you're like, yes, I'm good now. Only to go back to anger the next time this news feed. Why? Because stages of grief are like a roller coaster. At every turn of brokenness, it begins to eat at the heart of man. And so the question that I think all of us should be asking is, uh, why am I experiencing all these, these emotions? Why am I navigating through these stages of grief? Well, one could argue it is because of a loss of normalcy. The reason why you are grieving is because the world you knew will never happen again. 
And you're beginning to grieve through anger and denial because you have lost normalcy. Other people are grieving because of the fear of the economic bankruptcy. To look out into our world and to see so many brothers and sisters unemployed. And you're beginning to grieve. Lastly, I think the reason why we're um, um, experiencing all of these emotions is because of the loss of human connection that you can't touch, you can't feel. Even now, church, while we continue to worship God, man, you just want to be in the midst of people. I know I do. I want you to be here so that you can shout hallelujah and talk back to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, and you know what the, the, the most painful thing about this? This is not something that some of us are going through. This is something that all of us collectively and globally are going through. Let that sink in for a minute. That everyone on the face of the earth is being impacted by this coronavirus. That there's no one person who can escape it. Right? Our money can't save us. Our resources can't save us. Our status can't save us. Our genetics can't save us. All of us are grieving both sickness and death. And so the question is, Pastor, how do we manage this? How do we manage this grief that we are experiencing? Well, today, I want to talk about good grief. In fact, for the next three weeks, I want to talk about good grief. I want to give you some Charlie Brown theology, right? Charlie Brown is the one who coined or made this idiom, good grief, popular in the 1950s. Now, I know I'm dating myself, but Charlie Brown is a cool um, show. Some of you all love Snoopy, but I love Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown would use this phrase, good grief, when he was bummed out about something. Some of you all bummed out about some things? And we use this phrase, good grief, because of the brokenness that is around us. The problem with that idiom, though, it's simply this. Grieve simply means to be dismayed or to be distressed. So how on earth can we have good grief connected to distress? Well, you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 8 will give us that answer. And so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, all the way to verse 30, and I need to read this passage I, I need to brand this passage on our heart. I know it's a lot of verses, but I need to read this because this is where we're going to get our hope. Beginning at verse 18, it reads, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, underlying that word, together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, humanity, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groans inwardly, underline that as well, as we wait equally for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if he hopes for what he do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, oh, here we go, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What does it mean to have good grief according to Romans chapter 8? What is, what is Romans chapter 8 saying in regards to good grief? And it's simple. It is simply saying this. It is groaning with the help of the Holy Spirit, the hope of the future, and trusting in the sovereignty of plan, uh, uh, and the sovereignty of God's plan. That's what it means to, uh, according to Romans chapter 8. And so when I, when, I, when I hear that definition, the first thing I see is groaning. So here's the um, test. If you and I are going to experiencing, experience good grief, the first thing we're going to have to understand is good grief is groaning, right? Good grief is groaning. Watch this. The first stage of grief is to understand the type of grief that you are going through. That is true clinically and is also true biblically. If we are going to experience good grief, we're going to have to start with our pain. We're going to have to start with the understanding that good grief is groaning. And so Paul is writing to some believers in Rome, and he's writing to these believers who are suffering in their faith. In fact, he says, because you are a child of God, because you are an heir to the king, you will share in Jesus' suffering. But prior to this, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, and also even chapter 8, verse 17, Paul had begun to tell these believers that they would participate in the future hope of Jesus, right? That they will participate in the glory of God. And what that means is that in the future, they will experience immortality. In the future, they will experience the resurrection of the dead. But can I say something to Paul and also to you? Future hope don't always translate well in present suffering. Future hope don't always translate well in present suffering. In other words, we won't help right now. We are experiencing brokenness right now. now like, it's one thing to smell food when you're hungry. It's another thing to smell food when you are starving and the food is a distance away. We won't help right now. And so Paul begins to explain to these believers what they are going through, what they are grieving with. 
And so when you enter into the text, there is a word that is mentioned three times that I told you to underline in verse 22, in verse 23, and also in verse 26. And it reads this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Not only creation, it goes on to say, but we ourselves, humanity, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly. And in verse 26, it lastly says this, the Spirit himself intercedes with the groanings too deep for words. Right? Notice, everybody is groaning. Creation, the world, cats, dogs, rats, bats, they're groaning. Plants groaning. Trees groaning. Everybody is groaning. Not only are they groaning, but humanity, all of us, are groaning inwardly. Even God the Spirit, for a special reason, and I'll come back to that, is groaning. Is groaning. Watch this. The word groan here simply means to have a deep sigh, to have deep discontent in response to both pain and despair. That's what it means to groan. It means to have this deep sigh and this deep discontent. When you go to the hardware store and you see a line outside of people waiting to get into the store, that deep sigh or that deep disconnect that when you're in the grocery store and you see circles on the ground where you got to stand six part of feet apart from your brother or sister. It's this deep groaning that causes you to respond when you see pain or despair. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why is all of humanity, why is all of creation groaning? What are they responding to? And the answer is simple, the brokenness of the world. They are responding to the sins of this world. And when they look at the brokenness of this world, they have this deep discontent, this deep despair. Look at the text. And the text simply says that creation is groaning. And the reason why creation is groaning is because of the sins of humanity, right? It literally says that creation is subjected to futility. And the reason why creation is subjected to fertility is because of what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, when Adam and Eve sinned, our first parents, it cursed the ground that both thorns and thistles will come from it. And creation is frustrated because of what somebody else did. That's why the text says, not willingly it was subjected to fertility. Creation didn't do it. Our first parents did it. And it reminded me, man, when I was young and my brothers would get in trouble and you would hear them in the other room getting a spanking, you better not walk past that room. The moment you walk past the room, I'm like, you, you, you come here. Yeah, yeah, you. I'm like, what did I do? That's what creation is feeling right now. What did I do to get in this situation? It's because of the sins of humanity. But not only is creation uh, groaning, but also humanity, specifically believers. Believers are groaning because of the sins of humanity. They're looking at their life because they were saved in hope. 
But they look at the condition of the world and how broken it is, and they're beginning to groan. And there's two reasons why they are groaning. The first reason they are groaning is because they are the first fruit of the Spirit. They are the children of God. Is anybody out there asking, man, I'm saved, man. I, I know who Jesus is. And I'm suffering, or I attracted the coronavirus, and I, and I wash my hands, I put masks on, I, I've lived a good life, but I'm infected with this virus. And the second reason why they're groaning is because not only are they looking at the decay of creation, but they're looking at the decay of their own bodies. And they're waiting on their adoption process to be complete and hoping that God would give them their resurrected bodies. I am, man, I can't wait till Jesus give me my resurrected body. I want a hairline so bad, y'all. Come on, man. I used to have waves. Now these lights that are around me right now is just glistening all out of my head. I want my resurrected body. They're groaning. Creation is groaning. Humanity is groaning, which brings me to this last point. Let me tell you what you're going through. Let me tell you what I am going through. See, the reason why we are grieving, the reason why we are groaning is because we are staring at the brokenness of the world. We are seeing the consequences of sin while we are standing on the position that Jesus Christ can fix it. That's the tension. The tension is I'm looking at these things that are broken while holding the promise that Jesus Christ can do something about it. And it hurts. Because when we read the scriptures and we see what our king can do, and we're looking at the condition of the world, it causes grief in our heart. In fact, the gospel teaches us about the power of the resurrection and about the return of Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection, it says that the resurrection makes things all new. And the resurrection takes those things that are dead and those people who are Christians, but they are dead in Christ. It said it will raise them from the dead. And then there's the resurrection that Jesus Christ is going to return. And he's going to wipe away all of our tears. He's going to um, destroy death and pain and we won't experience it no more according to Revelation 21. But can I be honest with you, and I hope you're being honest with yourself in this time of grief, it is hard to hold on to the power of the resurrection and the return of Jesus when 150,000 people worldwide have died. It's tough. It's tough to look at the news and to see uh, a massive grave site being dug in New York for brothers and sisters who have not been identified with other family members, meaning they died alone. It's tough to hold on to the power of the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ when these things are constantly smacking us in our face. It's tough to see 17 million people file for unemployment in three weeks. It's tough. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be overwhelmed. It's okay to go from acceptance back to anger. But Jesus Christ told us this would happen. 
In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, there will be trouble. That in this world, there will be brokenness. He prepared us for this. And he's not speaking just because he's sitting on the right hand of a father. He's speaking as the suffering servant. He's speaking as one who is the high priest who can sympathize with all of our pain. But he didn't leave us in our despair. Because if you go back to John chapter 16, verse 33, it simply says, in this world, there will be trouble, but I have overcome. And because I have overcome, you can overcome. That doesn't mean tears are not going to be flowing from your eyes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience the grief because we're still waiting on the resurrected power of Jesus. And also watch this, we're waiting on his return. And so the question that we have to ask and answer is how? Pastor, how do I manage in this grief? How do I experience good grief in the midst of all this despair? And I'm going to say three things to you because that's what I think Paul is saying. You're going to have to know, you're going to have to keep, and you're going to have to trust. We experience good grief knowing, by knowing that the Holy Spirit helps us in our grief. We experience good grief by knowing, by understanding that the Holy Spirit helps us in our grief go back to verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we um, to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. What is our weakness? Our weakness is this. We don't know how to deal with these emotions that are going through our hearts. We don't know how to articulate and pray to God what we are feeling. We're trying to make sense of all this. And the Holy Spirit says, don't worry about it. I got you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. It literally means that he steps in. It, he takes hold of. Because he understands when we try to pray to God with all of these emotions going on in our hearts, going back to our Charlie Brown illustration, we sound like womp, 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 womp. <laughs> I throw that last one in there. Like, we don't know what to say. And God the Spirit says, don't worry, I speak, wah, 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 wah. Don't worry, I can translate your sadness. Don't worry, I can translate your anger. I speak denial. I speak acceptance. Don't worry, because I am the one who's going to take control, and I'm going to want, be the one who take it to the Father. And watch this. He says, and I know you. And not only do I know you, but I know the Father. And me and the Father are on one accord. And so I'm going to take your prayers that you can't articulate, your emotions that you don't know what to do with, and I'm going to take it to the Father. And watch this. I'm going to align it according to his will. Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit is stepping in to help us navigate the grief that we are experiencing through the brokenness of this world. I need somebody to translate my emotions. I need somebody to make sense and be empathetic with what I am going through. I need someone to say, I am concerned about it too, Jerry. I need somebody to say, Jerry, I understand the brokenness as well. And that's what God the Spirit is doing. He's showing up in a way 
to let you know, I'll carry this burden for you. In fact, the word intercede is the same word that Martha uses when she goes to Jesus and tells Jesus, tell Mary to help me. Tell Mary to help me. And what she was saying is, I need help carrying this burden. And the Holy Spirit says, I got it. I got it. I will help you carry this burden. You continue to pray. Don't worry about how it comes out. Don't worry about how mad you are. Don't worry about how sad you are. I do the translating for you. Does anybody need that today? For the Spirit of God to make sense of the emotions that are going in your heart as you talk to the King. Now, not only, watch this, not only do we have the aid of the Spirit, all right, but we also have uh, a future hope in Jesus. So, um, if we are going to be the type of people, if we are going to be the type of people um, that experience this future hope, um, if we're going to be the type of people who, uh, just distracted a little bit, but if we are going to be the type of people who experience good grief, we're going to have to keep our eye on the future hope that we have in Jesus. All right? If we're going to be the type of people who experience um, um, good grief, we're going to have to keep our eye on the future hope in Jesus. Go back to verse 18. See, when I started this sermon, I started in the middle with our pain. But Paul started with the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus. Verse 18 says this, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice what Paul did. Paul says, the future, the present suffering that we have does not compare to the future hope that we have in Jesus. In fact, if you were to look at this, this passage in Greek, Paul is using a math equation to weigh present suffering and future hope. The word consider is also used as calculations, and the word weight is also putting um, mathematic equations um, together. And it's, it, it was interesting because as I began to think about this, Paul says, when I divided present hope and future, um, um, future hope, it didn't compare. When I added present suffering and future hope, did not compare. He's saying our present um, suffering does not compare to our future hope that we have in Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, the first thing you have to understand is our present um, suffering is relatively short in comparing to our future hope that we have in Jesus, right? The, the, the 65 years, the 70 years, the 40 years, the 20 years that you have here on earth does not compare to the eternity that you would spend with Jesus. I think the second thing that um, Paul is pointing out is that our present suffering cannot, does not outweigh our future hope that we have in Jesus. Paul even says that this is a momentary affliction that we are experiencing. The last thing I think you need to understand that Paul is trying to communicate that we can experience good grief as we are connected to the future hope in Jesus is simply this. Our future hope is certain. It will happen. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. You can bet on it. Here's what Paul is trying to do. Paul is trying to get us to filter our present suffering through our future hope. 
like a cheese grater. He's trying to get us to filter what we are presently suffering through, through our future hope. Watch this. The brokenness of the world. Paul would say, I want you to take the brokenness of the world and I want you to filter it through future hope. And what you're going to come out with, watch this, is that God is going to renew all creation. That God is going to renew all creation. And watch this. When you operate in future hope, you have present practices that you would do. Right? Because you know that there's going to be a future hope, you can cultivate broken ground. Because you know there's going to be a future hope, you can take care of animals and you can rescue animals. You can be the doctor and the nurse to the brokenness of this world. And when your neighbor asks you, what are you doing? Why are you trying to cultivate to contaminated ground? You can simply look at them and say, because it's going to be like this in the new heaven and the new earth. That's how you take future hope and turn it into uh, present realities. So some of y'all are saying, I'm not dealing with the brokenness of creation, um, Pastor. What I'm dealing with is the brokenness of humanity. I'm dealing with the brokenness of my body. And so Paul would say, I want you to take the decay of body, and I want you to filter it to future hope. And what you're going to realize is that future hope and the bodies will be redeemed in heaven. Yes. That that decay old body also has life in eternity. What does that look like presently? Watch this. Then you can live your life for Jesus knowing that whether you die here on earth, you'll be alive in heaven. Some of y'all not talking about um, the brokenness of the, um, the body. Maybe you're talking about death. Maybe you're talking about pain. And Paul is going to come and say, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to filter that through future hope. And what you're going to realize is simply this, that Jesus Christ will return. And he will be the one who wipe away all our tears. He is going to be the one who destroys death once and for all. So do you want to experience good grief in the midst of despair? Then focus on the future hope that we have in Jesus so that you can live a life that is not dominated by the outside but gives you power and fuel to persevere here on earth. And here's the last one. Not only do we have future hope, but God also has a present plan for us. If we are going to experience good grief, we're going to experience it by trusting in the sovereign plan of God. And here's the last verse. Verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God— all things, not some things, notice what the text is, all things, distress, persecution, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, watch this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many people. The reason why we're going through what we are going through is because God has a purpose and God has a plan that we will look like Jesus Christ in COVID and out of COVID. If we are going to experience good grief, watch this. We're going to have to understand that God has a plan. And that's why the final words in this text is simply this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Man, 
I've been trying to figure out, okay, one of the number one things that people oftentimes ask me is, Pastor, how does all these things work to my good? How does all these things work to my good? In fact, the more specific question according to um, this um, particular sermon is, what is the good thing that God is doing with my grief? What is the good thing that God is doing with my grief? Now, I don't know the mind of God, but I have taken some observations on the things that have went around me, and I wrote them in my Bible, and I want to give you six things that I'm out of your way. Watch this. God is letting us realize just how vulnerable we humans are in, bro in this broken world. That even an invisible virus can hurt us. The second thing I think is working towards our good is this. God is letting us experience just how much we are not in control. Right? It's working to our good because all of a sudden we are dependent upon God more and not just our plans. Here's another one. God is using this common crisis to minimize our division and our divisiveness. See, prior to this, there was conflict between black and white and Latino and Asian, and we just were warring against one another. But all of a sudden, this coronavirus has brought us all together. Isn't it like God to create a common enemy so that we may have unity among one another? Yeah. Here's another one. God is healing our selfishness towards one another. Like, uh, imagine, um, uh, uh, just, just look at the condition of the world as we continue to love on our brothers. Back in the day, it was just about us, and we still see that. But I've seen so much humanitarian because of what God is calling us to do. Five, God is forcing us back to spiritual disciplines. The reason why you pray more is because of the coronavirus. The reason why you're reading your Bible more is the coronavirus. Some of you would have never come to church if it wasn't because of the coronavirus. And you can sit at home. That works too. But you're here. You're here. And here's the last thing. God is conforming us to the image of his son. Here's my challenge to you. Do not go back to the same person you were when God bring you out of the coronavirus. You need to look more like Jesus. You need to respond more like Jesus. You need to operate more like Jesus. That's how these things are working for our good. So here's my final conclusion. To the believer, it is your responsibility to experience this good grief by, watch this, knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to help you in your grief. It, it is your responsibility right? To keep focus on the future hope that we have in Jesus. And lastly, it is trusting. It is trusting that God has a plan. To all my fellow believers, this is for you. But to those who are not followers of Jesus, can I be upfront? You cannot experience good grief apart from Jesus. You can't experience good grief if you have not put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But today you can. The Bible says if you will believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And if that's you, I want you to text, respond. I want you to uh, make a, a text, and I want you to begin to operate as a follower of Jesus, when you make that decision, 
And there's going to be someone who reaches out to you. There's going to be someone who calls you to, to help you navigate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And for the rest of us, watch this. We do a thing called contemplation. And, and, and with contemplation, we take all that God has allowed us to experience. And we ask four things. What is God calling us to stop? What is God calling us to start? What is God calling us to believe? And who is God calling us to share this with? Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.